Uh, thanks for that WhatsApp voice note. And you are so right. You know, so much goes into why people vote for the people or even the party they vote for. And there's so much emotions um, that, that is attached to, to the process. And yeah, it, it's, not, it's, it's definitely not a clear-cut issue of meritocracy, like you are saying. Our health talk today, we are going to be focusing on tuberculosis. And, um, you know, we know that South Africa is one of those countries that struggles with a very high rate of people who suffer from TB and often um, that goes undiagnosed. Dr. Leborang Ginaupe is a specialist pulmonologist and joins us on the line. Uh, Dr. Leborang, good morning to you and thanks for your time this morning. Good morning, Kathy. Thank you for having me. Let's just talk about what has been happening over the past, you know, 18 to 18 months, I would say, under COVID-19 and the impact that that has had on the work when it comes to um, screening for TB, diagnosing of TB. From, from your perspective, what is it that you've seen? Yeah, um, you know, tuberculosis is still a huge uh, public health problem. We still have quite a lot of people, even into the hundreds of thousands, succumbing to tuberculosis, in particular TB of the lungs. And um, there has been uh, quite a lot of progress in terms of finding the TB cases. As you know, that there's a policy in our country um, of finding possible uh, TB cases and actually treating them aggressively. As you know, that the the transmission of TB, you know, is promoted by uh, various. Um, factors including uh, poverty, poor socioeconomic conditions, which still exist to this day. And therefore, the numbers in terms of the cases of tuberculosis are still quite high, even though we can pick them much quicker, pick them up much quicker with the new diagnostic methods that we have, plus other public health measures that are put in place to find those uh, individuals who might have tuberculosis of the lung. Um, the, if I can just go into other other factors that hamper the control of TB to this day uh, are the issue of drug-resistant TB, uh, which is, you know, quite often um, caused by, the, it's man-made, it's caused by issues in the system, as well as um, the way healthcare workers approach these cases. Um, the other thing, the existing uh, poor socioeconomic conditions, poverty, that promotes the transmission of TB from one individual uh, to the next. And th- those are the main issues that promote the spread of TB and hamper the control thereof. I want us to get to the issue of drug-resistant TB and multi-drug-resistant TB um, a-, a bit later. When we are dealing with diagnosis of TB, why is it that um, many people still struggle with just having, with presenting themselves to doctors when they are experiencing some some symptoms? Yeah, um, that could be because, firstly, 
the accessibility in terms of reaching healthcare facilities. You can look at the distance that people stay away from healthcare facilities. But secondly, the, the perceived um, attitude by the public in terms of how they will be treated at these uh, public healthcare facilities. So it's a combination of factors that also include the ability or the means that people have to reach healthcare facilities, be it both public or private. That causes people to really struggle in terms of presenting themselves to healthcare facilities. They might say, oh, you know, uh, when I get there, I won't get help on time. Or some people just go on to say, you know, if I go into the hospital, I will not come back alive. Therefore, I'd rather stay home and uh, perhaps uh, die at home, if I may use those words. Mm-hmm. Let's yeah. talk about the, the the symptoms for TB and what it is that people will often um, experience and, and why these symptoms are often confused for for other diseases. Yes, so TB, in terms of the symptoms, uh, patients would uh, first, you know, perceive that they tend to to cough. They cough, usually this cough would be for a prolonged period of time. Uh, it could be just a dry cough. Sometimes they may produce some sputum when they cough. And uh, others would realize that they have an unintentional weight loss. They were not planning to lose weight, and yet they see that their clothing gets bigger or they're losing weight when they check their weight. Um, the other thing is night sweats, drenching night sweats. The bedding would be wet at night for no reason. And these patients may have other symptoms that just include um, decreased uh, appetite. They have no desire to eat. And as a result, there is fatigue, there is uh, ongoing tiredness. These symptoms are very uh, subtle sometimes, and therefore individuals may not even think that they have TB. Even when they do consult, these symptoms may be interpreted as being due to other things other than TB, and therefore the testing does not happen. And oftentimes, there are also misconceptions around tuberculosis that are linked with HIV that um, previously contribute to why people don't want to get screened for TB. Yes, yes, that's a huge factor. That also, in fact, hampers the control of this uh, the TB pandemic. Um, the, the stigma still, that's still attached to being diagnosed with HIV, which now we know that is a chronic uh, condition that can be controlled like any other condition. But the problem is that once somebody has HIV, they are at risk of, in fact, having uh, TB reactivation that may have been in their lungs, the body had contained as latent infection. And the moment then they start having uh, HIV, the TB then reactivates. That's when they really do get sick. But in fact, when you look at uh, various studies that were done, uh, we can see that 
patients, once they are diagnosed, they know the status in terms of HIV. They use health facilities more. They, in fact, get screened much more often than the general population. And, uh, you know, the conclusion may be that, in fact, once one is diagnosed and knows their status, they have a better deal in terms of being screened, being seen more often than the general population. And then this TB can be picked up quite earlier. That's the benefit of testing for HIV and knowing the status. We're focusing on tuberculosis, TB, for our health talk today. And we're in conversation with Dr. Lebohang Ginaube, who is a specialist pulmonologist. As always, you can call in on 011-714-2006. He'll be able to take your calls and respond to uh, some of the issues that you specifically want to ask where uh, TB is concerned. On the WhatsApp line, you can send those messages to 0614104107 and on Twitter at SFM Radio. The hashtag there is SAFM Talking Point. Uh, I want to talk about the issue of drug-resistant TB because we seem to have such a big problem of drug-resistant TB but also multi-drug-resistant TB. Uh, tell us about what is the difference between the two and how does it actually come about? Oh, yes. Yeah. So... <clears throat> Drug-resistant tuberculosis can either be multi-drug-resistant TB, it can be a mono-resistant TB, but it can also be an XDR, uh, extremely drug-resistant TB. We also have a totally drug-resistant TB as well. But in particular for MDR, multi-drug-resistant TB, as you know, we use now uh, drugs in combination to treat TB. These are four drugs that we use to give patients in the first two months of their treatment, and then later on we can reduce them. The reason is that all of these drugs work in different forms, and in fact, they can inhibit the bacteria, the tuberculosis bacterium, from learning about these drugs and, in fact, developing mechanisms within itself to defend itself from being killed by these drugs. So in combination, they help a lot in terms of killing this bug by different mechanisms. So you can only imagine that when a healthcare worker underdoses a patient with these drugs, the bug is going to learn and develop mechanisms to be resistant to it. Or in certain cases, we give uh, three drugs instead of the four standard drugs that we give, or we give one drug at a time. This gives the bug a chance to develop resistance mechanisms. And the second thing is the non-compliance, non-adherence by the patient. They may not um, uh, be willing to take medications once they are at home, uh, or they do- just don't have food to eat while they take these medicines. Others don't even have access in terms of transportation to go and get medications, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Those um, factors promote um, drug resistance with this, uh, from this bug. So it, it's all about biological mechanisms, but also there are other 
human factors that are uh, are responsible for this. All right, let me kick it off with a call that's coming through from Felix. Felix, you're calling us from Cape Town. Good morning to you, Felix. Hello. Hi, hi. I hope you can hear me. Yes. Um, Katie, my wife just been diagnosed with with the TB cancer, and I think two or three months back in it. And um, uh, we we we, we went in for the whole, I think the week treatment of a lung TB uh, 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 disease. But she 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 is now feeling better. She been initially she was like weak and all that. That we've been going in and out of 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 a day. Hospital, but she's getting better now. She's on now on a whole month treatment that she's been. That my only fear or our fear at home is is also said that uh, if you've been treated with uh, TB, is your lung can your lungs recover uh, from the uh, from the TB? Do they completely recover from the TB, or now you'll have a situation where if your lungs uh, are been affected, you might get again a TB on 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 the near future. Thank you. Okay. Dr. Ginaupe? Yes, Kathy. Um, yes, no, in fact, um, TB, the recovery of TB, first of all, TB is highly treatable. It's curable with the medications that we have. And so when people uh, complete their program of treatment, they can be, then go on to two possibilities. The first one is that they just recover and their lungs um, are completely functional. You don't see any permanent damage on the lungs themselves. And then other people go to a point where they have scarred lungs. Uh, The scarring may affect only a certain area of the lung and then leave the rest of the lung fully functional. Means that when they then see a a pulmonologist, they will then be checked, their x-rays would be checked uh, months after they complete their treatment, they would then have scarred lungs. That can sometimes, if it finds a person with a poor reserve, meaning they have other comorbidities, they are smokers, it means that the lung and even the heart may not be able to sustain the fact that a quarter of one lung is scarred. It is not functional anymore. And those patients are the ones that really need to to be watched because they can have recurrent tuberculosis episodes. They can have um, other issues such as uh, fungal balls forming inside that cavity that's created by the scar. And then they begin to cough out blood and then they need surgery, etc. But all these things are manageable, manageable as chronic problems in these patients who go on to have permanent sequela of TB. We currently don't know. It may be related to the genes. It might be related to how severe the tuberculosis was, or it might also be related to the comorbidities that an individual has. But there's a great number of people who fully, fully recover uh, without any permanent sequela. So it's it's just a matter of uh, when... Uh, you know, uh, the lady recovers from TB, completes her therapy. She just needs to see the doctor to screen the lungs, get a chest X-ray checked, and then, uh, if needs be, she will have a lung function done to check how uh, functional the lungs are after the treatment.
Mm. And, and and what often leads to to the requirement for surgery uh, for people who who are suffering from TB? Yeah, in particular, <clears throat> those with drug resistant TB, be it MDR, XDR, TDR, uh, some of them uh, you can imagine that TB affects the lungs in different ways. Other people, though, may have a TB that is contained within a cavity in an area of the lung. Therefore, these medications that we take, uh, that we swallow, would then go through the bloodstream to the lung to kill the bug. But then because this bug is encapsulated, it has a wall around the cavity that sort of protects the TB, the drugs don't reach it at all. Those are individuals that will then be referred to a pulmonologist to check them if it's suitable for them to have surgery, which is actually life-saving. That area of the lung will then be cut out together with that conglomerate of bacilli, TB bacilli, and then it will be then thrown away. This patient would have been assessed in terms of what their functional status will be after the surgery. So there's no uh, concern there actually about having removed part of the lung. Uh, But other individuals would be those who have what we call mycetoma. These are individuals who have had TB previously, they're cured, but it left a scar in a cavity. So these ubiquitous fungus that we can all breathe they don't have the capacity to expel it. Therefore, as it grows inside that cavity, it forms a nest and forms a ball. This ball now and then moves up and down. When you're lying down and sit up and so on, it can irritate vessels around there. And the pe- people do cough out a little bit of blood and then they forget about it. After a few months, they cough more blood. In fact, we have seen catastrophic bleeding in these patients requiring urgent intervention. But when that is picked up earlier on, then the surgery can be planned to cut out that fungal ball. Obviously, there has to be an evaluation in terms of checking how functional you will be after the surgery. All right. It sounds like a very, very difficult thing to to have to go through, I imagine, uh, from the perspective of of the patient. Well, Dr. Kinaupe is going to be staying with us. He, of course, is the specialist pulmonologist that we are in conversation with for our health talk today. I understand Felix has a follow-up question. Felix, I'll give you a chance after the 9.30 news headlines. Luyanda, good morning. Here, there and everywhere. SAFM 107.1 FM in Seapoint. We continue the conversation on the talking point. Dr. Lebrang Ginaube is a specialist pulmonologist and he joins us today. He's for as part of the Health Talk feature. Uh, Felix, I understand you had a follow-up question very quickly for me, please. Uh, yeah, thank you, Katie, and a good doctor. Uh, just a, a question of us, the whole family being screened. Uh, should we go in and have screened and tested as well to just make sure that no one has been affected by TB? And secondly, my wife has not been vaccinated as yet for, 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 for COVID. So we're kind of waiting for her to then be able to fully recover. Can we then vac- go ahead and vaccinate at, 
at the same time. Thank you, Kathy. Okay. I'll listen on the radio. All right, no problem. Thanks. Very important question there, Felix. Okay, Kathy. Uh, for the first... Hello? Yes, uh, Doctor, oh, you're sorry. still on. Sorry, Kathy. No yeah, problem. Uh, in fact, um, for the screening, it's uh, quite important for the close contacts um, to be screened because uh, the, the transmission of TB, even though it thrives in areas that are overcrowded, uh, you know, that lack ventilation, uh, no ultraviolet light and so on, um, it's still important because I suppose Felix would spend more time um, with his wife, you know. Uh, so it's very important for him to get screened, particularly when he feels he doesn't feel well. Um, it's a very easy process in South Africa. What we do is we just then give you a questionnaire of the symptoms, and then you can then give sputum that will be tested. Uh, and if it's negative, indeed, you, you would then be confirmed not to have TB, but still being in contact with somebody. To, so I encourage screening. Um, anti, Anti-SARS-CoV-2 vaccination, um, I know there is that concern that individuals, when they are not well, they shouldn't go and, uh, and vaccinate. Uh, but for the lady, she, we know that she is quite ill from uh, TB, uh, which is a bacterium. And um, I don't know how far she is in terms of the treatment, but if she is within a, a continuation phase, I think that it's important for her to just speak to the doctor that she treats her. She gets evaluated in terms of what respiratory symptoms she currently has. Are they explained only by the TB itself, or she may have had recently a seasonal uh, flu or common cold and so on. So a evaluation will be needed first before she can be cleared for vaccination. So I just encourage her to mm. see her family doctor for that. Okay, th- thank you so much for that, uh, Dr. Ginaupe. Munna Silo, rather, you're calling us from Kronstadt. Good morning. Thank you. Thank you, Kathy. Good, mor- good, mm. good morning and good morning to your team. I just want to ask the good doctor. Uh, doctor, in the, yeah. in the 70s, in the 70s, I was I was at Ernest Oppenheimer Hospital in Velkom. I was I was I was uh, play, uh, training there. Let's let me say, and we had a TB ward, TB and pneumoconiosis ward, where the patients were given pus, INH, and streptomycin. But of late, I've realized that uh, many people who, who are patients. Uh, having TB, uh, when we suggested to to, doc, to doctors that they prescribe pass INH or strep, they are, they are reluctant. I, I, I want to know what is the reason. Okay, so in terms of the the INH and strep, right now we to prevent resistant TB for a while now we use them. In combination. I listen, I listen on the radio. I can't hear you. Well. Okay. All right. All right. No, no problem. Yeah. So I was just saying that right now, <clears throat> it is best once TB is diagnosed, and then we know that it is uh, sensitive tuberculosis. There is no concern in terms of resistance. 
this means that this patient has TB for the first time and there has not, never been a contact with somebody who has drug-resistant TB. We give them four drugs in combination. That includes the isoniazid that the gentleman is mentioning. It includes um, rifampicin, isanditol, pyrazinamide. Those drugs work very well uh, together as they work through different mechanisms. And you're unlikely to get resistance if the patient is compliant and the healthcare system makes sure that the patient gets medication. Uh, but we have a second line or a second group of medications that we use. That is, if the patient has now a second time of sensitive TB, or we are concerned that the first treatment doesn't work well, but there's a second line of treatment that includes the injectable medications that include the uh, streptomycin. Uh, we, we do use it sometimes, but um, nowadays is a drug that's been relegated down to um, other levels of treatment. The backbone of therapy right now remains the four drugs that I mentioned initially in combination at the same time. All right. Thanks Thanks for that, Dr. Ginaupe. We also have some WhatsApp voice notes that are coming through from you. Uh, so what I'll do is that I'll play the WhatsApp voice notes. And of course, uh, to our listeners, you can call in on 011-714-2006. Any specific questions that you may have for Dr. Ginaupe. We're talking about tuberculosis today on the SMS line. It's 41391. And those SMSs are charged at standard rates. And on the WhatsApp line, it's zero six one four one zero four one zero seven. Hello, Asketi. Uh, Kitoba Anonymous, Copala, Doctor Morna. Uh, I will like a dry cough, Copala, Tarzajona Woods, because never can I learn a dry cough, a way, but I will just say, look, it's like we are on a little dust moho, and then give a chest x ray. Doctor, I want to see you. I want to see you. So, hope you a laboratory one of your proper results. So, you are a little bit of a dry coffee. All right, so Anonymous is really asking about the symptoms of TB, in particular the aspect of the dry cough and what it is um, that doctors are looking out for uh, when, you know, when talking about the dry cough and when to be worried that it might be associated to TB. He says he has done some x-ray screenings and um, it was found that there was nothing there, but he he still is continuing to experience that dry cough. So, uh, Dr. Now, but do you have any advice for our listener there? Yes. Uh, in fact, the, the, the dry cough, I would look at it together with other symptoms. If, let's say, he has the dry cough and he has what we call red flags with the dry cough, they mm-hmm. include uh, any kind of bleeding, streaks of blood when he coughs, or loss of weight, uh, night sweats, in combination with these, plus possibly an abnormal chest X-ray, I'd be concerned about TB in that case. But in this case, with a normal chest X-ray, with a dry cough that probably has been going on for plus minus more than three weeks, the doctor would then have to go on to think about what then could be stimulating this cough, because a cough is a reflex, you know, that can be stimulated in the ear itself, there could be a problem in the ear. Is there a reflux, maybe some uh, reflux from the stomach into the foot pipe mm-hmm. upwards? That can stimulate chronic cough. 
some individuals may even have what we call cough variant asthma. They may have asthma that manifests with a chronic dry cough. So all these things now, the doctor would have to go beyond the lung and, and in fact, look for all these possible uh, causes. Uh, he may also have what we call allergic rhinitis uh, with post-nasal drip. And those are the things that the doctor would think about. Mm. You yeah. know, I, I'm just thinking about the the issue of um, of, of of treatment for for tuberculosis, and why why is it that that oftentimes you know the the, the treatment of, of TB is said to be um, quite difficult for, for for many patients to 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 kind of commit to and and to see it through. Talk to us a little bit about that, please. Yeah, um, these are now the formulations we have. Uh, quite often, if uh, the individual has four drugs, they may have four tablets, big purple tablets that they have to swallow every day. And uh, together with one whitish one, which presents a side effect that's called neuropathy, that is a nerve swelling due to this treatment. But you can see that already there is a huge burden in terms of the number of tablets which discourages people. They may even have other tablets that they may be taking for other comorbidities. Secondly, uh, in the initial days of treatment, they may feel a bit nauseous. Others would even um, uh, vomit. Uh, Those are unpleasant side effects of this medication. But once there is that resilience, uh, plus a support from other people, healthcare workers, families, uh, that's why we have that strategy that's called a DOT, directly observed uh, treatment strategy, to assist uh, patients that are on treatment for TB to adhere, to have regular meals as they take this treatment, because that's very important, and they can go through. But these, and plus the stigma as well of being on TB treatment still exists and it discourages people. Yeah, and and are we finding that there are interventions when it, when it comes to the administration of medication that can perhaps make it easier for patients? Yeah, there, there are certain uh, individuals who may be that ill not to be able to swallow. Mm. Let's say, for example, somebody has co-infection with HIV and their treatment in terms of HIV is not yet above board. They may have some mucosal fungal infections. This is a fungal infection of the throat, the uh, food pipe, the esophagus, and the mouth. So you can imagine the swallowing is not good. Others don't have the strength to even take the medication themselves. Therefore, then the nurse or the caregiver would take the tablets, crush them, uh, mix them with some water, and allow them to rather drink these uh, these medications in in a liquid or a suspension form rather than a whole tablet. Mm. So there are various interventions that can be put in place. All right. Okay. Uh, Dr. Kinope, let me play you uh, another WhatsApp voice note uh, from one of our listeners. Thank you. Good morning, Siskit. Uh, I'd like to remain anonymous. I hear you talking of TB and 
and HIV and all those things. This case, I've got a question to the guy there. I performed something called FNA to check my TB, to check my my HIV status. They all came back negative. Uh, I don't know what to do, but I was having a swelling on my neck, but then it was taken out through an operation. But now I don't know what to do. Please advise. Okay. Um, Kevin? Yes. Uh, if there's a swelling in the neck mm. um, and it was then taken out, one would uh, immediately think that it was probably what we call a lymph node that is swollen, a lymph adenopathy. Um, it is one of the, the commonest sites where TB can stay. It can manifest in a form of uh, lymphadenopathy, but also uh, advanced HIV can manifest in that form. And the aim of uh, taking it out, I can, I suppose that it was to take it and send to the lab so the lab can look at it, pathologists would look at it and tell if it's caused by TB or other, many other causes that would cause it, mm. uh, including uh, um, viruses such as that those that are associated with HIV that can cause it. We call the condition Castleman's disease. It's a viral condition. And it can be enlarged, again, due to any local skin infection that would cause a lymph node in the same region to swell up. Uh, I'm not too sure what the pathologist uh, assessment was of the swelling itself. It would be interesting to know so that then we know which path he should take moving forward. Mm. Yeah, look, unfortunately, all we have is is what what he has said in 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 that voice note. But but thanks for 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 your contribution there. Um, one message here says, my son had MDRTB in the neck three years ago, and was treated over eighteen months. Six months ago, a new growth of the gland became evident on his neck. A six weeks culture taken was negative, but there's still some growth in the glands. He has no TB symptoms. What could be the problem and what should my next steps be? Uh, that's a message there from Anonymous. Okay. Uh, so he still has a, a gland swelling somewhere. Yes. So, so the first one was treated um, 18 months ago and six months ago another one began to develop. Okay, yeah, so the first thing would obviously be to make sure that this is not due to a TB again, even though he completed his treatment for drug-resistant TB. Uh, what often should happen is that he goes in and um, there is then going to be a minimally invasive manner of sampling that gland. We call it a fine middle aspiration. The small needle, they can do it in the outpatient department to sample that. They put it on a slide and the pathologist looks at it to see whether this is what we call a reactive lymphadenopathy with no TB or is it due to TB itself? Because it's quite important to ascertain that because it, uh, it can come back. So I would advise them to go for another biopsy.
Thank you so much, Dr. Ginaube. We're going to continue the conversation after this quick break. We're taking a look at tuberculosis for our health talk today. I'll be back with more of uh, your calls and your WhatsApp voice notes. If you still have questions uh, for the doctor, the number to dial 011-714-2006. SAFM 104-107 Nationwide. Dr. Lebohang Ginaube is a specialist pulmonologist and he's part of our health talk today. He's taking all your TB-related questions and comments. Uh, Dr. Ginaube, this one, it may be a bit of a silly one, I don't know. Uh, somebody wants to know if they can contract TB from kissing. Uh, TB from what, Kevin? From kissing. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. Not from kissing. Remember that uh, coughing, a uh, cough, is the most effective way for the bacillus to spread. Mm. So when we cough, we have these uh, sputum droplets that would contain the bacillus inside. So when they are in the air, these droplets, they would then become a bit smaller with evaporations and form what we call nuclei. They contain the bark. The smaller they are, the more easier for them to be suspended in the air and actually go into somebody's airways and reaching the inner depth of the lungs and then causing trouble. But kissing itself is not a mode of transmission for TB. Okay, thank you, thank you yeah. so much for that. Uh, another message here, I had TB 15 years and have totally recovered. However, I always have phlegm, especially in the morning. I use allergy tablets for my sinus and hay fever as well. Uh, do I need to be worried? Oh, yeah. Uh, in fact, one of the other sequelas for TB, Kathy, is uh, what we call bronchiectasis. In this case, uh, in the history is very typical that the lady says that she has more production of sputum in the morning. Uh, bronchiectasis is basically the over-dilatation and, uh, uh, of the small airways inside the lungs themselves. These airways then lose their ability to push out the secretions or the sputum, if you like, out up into the, the upper airway so that we can either swallow them or cough them out. So when somebody has bronchiectasis, they basically have a stasis of the sputa. They stay there for so long, especially when they are sleeping. When they wake up, that's when they perceive that they have to expel these sputa that have accumulated. And quite often, others would require some oxygen because they are breathless sometimes. And others after evaluation by, by a pulmonologist or a physician, they would have lung functions to see if indeed they can benefit from a pump that can help them open up the lungs so they can breathe better. But the, the most important thing is that these uh, secretions, when they stay in the lungs, they become a reservoir for various other bacteria that will colonize, become infective, and then they continue to injure the lung in the long term. And the, the, pay, the individual's health uh, deteriorates even further. So the message that I would put there to remember is that she needs to have bronchial hygiene. That means the doctor would then help her to assist her to do 
her own chest physiotherapy at home mm. every day to clean the lungs, to, to rid them of these secretions so that there is no chance for other bacteria to stay and grow in her lungs. So, yeah, so, so yeah. it's definitely something that she needs to uh, follow up with uh, with her doctor. Definitely, yes. Yes. Okay, all right. Okay, yeah. thanks for that. Um, somebody else here wants to know, if you're diagnosed with TB and you're HIV positive, is it possible that that can lead to paralysis? Paralysis. Mm. Um, well, they are various in the context of being on TB treatment as well as being HIV positive, there are various causes for uh, muscle weakness that may come as a result of the nerves that give power to your limb muscles to shut down. Number one, treatment related in terms of the antitubercular therapy. It's rare, but it happens, particularly if uh, you are not taking what we call vitamin B6 to ensure that to some extent we prevent this paralysis. But then in the context of HIV, there could be other conditions that are associated with HIV that would cause uh, a paralysis. If it's in the spinal cord itself, you have what we call uh, myelitis. Uh, sometimes if it's in the nerve themselves beyond the spinal cord, it could be just related to the HIV causing the neuropathy itself. So that's still the doctor needs to evaluate and decide exactly what causes this paralysis. TB of the spine can cause paralysis as well. Okay, okay. So, 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 so there there are instances then where some of the combination of diseases uh, can lead to paralysis. Certainly, yes. yes okay. Yes. All right. Um, I, I don't know if you're going to be able to respond to this question. It says, I have HIV. I'm taking treatment and never been sick, but I have this thing in my mouth on the roof of my mouth. It's hard and it was small in the beginning. Uh, it doesn't hurt, no itch, and I'm too afraid to go to the doctor. Is Would that be TB related at all? Uh, what comes to my mind is that uh, I would like the doctor to look at it, particularly the color. What color does it have? Mm. If it's a bit darker, violaceous, and so on, it would suggest just one of the cancers that are associated with HIV. But remember that it would still be any other thing, just a small lesion there that really is not dangerous. Mm. But uh, somebody has to look at that lesion because it may lead to, to other things, particularly if the um, CD4 count is still low and the viral load in terms of HIV is still high in the blood. Mm. So someone has to look at it. Okay. All right. Okay. L let's continue with uh, the voice notes. One more voice note for you, Doc. Yeah. Casey, good show you are having there. Ask the doctor for me, please. We, I was born in a, out of six boys in my family. The three had TB, but they were smoking. But now my fear is with this one who is currently on the treatment. He doesn't smoke, but he has TB also. So I want the doctor to clarify for me, or even till they teach me, teach the, the whole nation. Is it something that follows blood, or is it something that you were born like? I don't, I don't understand the TB itself. 
Okay, Dr. Kinaupe, is it genetic? <laughs> you know, is there anything mm. genetically uh, in, in involved when it comes to whether or not you will get TB? Uh, no, Kathy. Uh, where the genes may play a role is how you respond to the infection itself. But getting the infection has nothing to do with, with the genes. It's a highly contagious con uh, uh, bug uh, which relies on certain conditions for it to then be transmitted from one individual to the other. But how you then respond to the bug infection uh, depends largely is the comorbidities, mm. but to some extent how your genetic makeup is like. Dr. Lebohang Ginaobe, let me thank you so much for your time today. I don't know if there's anything else that you want to add very quickly, Doc, before we wrap up the show. Yes, Kathy. I would just like to encourage uh, our people to ensure that they use healthcare facilities quite often. We do have very good uh, professionals out there in both public and private facilities uh, to please just go in there and uh, be screened for tuberculosis, it is still a big problem and people do succumb to it. So when there are any symptoms, please uh, consult and you'll get help. Dr. Ginaupe, thank you again for your time. He is a specialist pulmonologist and, yeah, like he's saying, can't emphasize the importance of continually screening for TB. It is a treatable disease and is not necessarily a life sentence. That's where we leave it for today on The Talking Point. Coming up next is...